You are listening to The Real Faith Stories Podcast, interviews with people who chose to boldly follow their faith. I'm your host, Brian Robinson. Now, let's meet our guests and hear their story. Alan Arnold, welcome to Real Faith Stories. It really is an honor to have you on the program today. Thanks, Brian. I'm, I'm excited about the conversation we're going to have. Well, let's just dive right in. Please share about your backstory being a type, I'm going to say quadruple A performer <laughs> in your business. <laughs> and then this incredible shift that happened in your life, Alan. And as a result, this book you wrote that has really impacted me called The Story of With. So, Alan, please share. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I would say no matter who's listening and how driven they are, I feel like I would have given you a run for the money and at the time been determined to be more driven. I I used to live by, it was a fortune from a fortune cookie that I had gotten at some restaurant when I was in my uh, late 20s. And the fortune said, the one who says it can't be done should get out of the way of the one already doing it. Oh, wow. And and that became my mantra. Like I taped that to my desk and really saw life through that lens, which was, I will be the guy that makes it happen. And what whatever that is, whatever the, you know, unfortunately there, it was applying to basically any confrontation, any felt inequity or injustice or just the desire to win a business account or to lead a team uh, and make things happen that had never happened before. It was at work. It was at home. I was living my entire life by this constant, now looking back, I know, need to make things happen because I believed that who I was was directly correlated to what I did. And so the more I did, the more I was. And so there was a constant proving ground every hour of every day. And it might be on a phone call with a telerep because, you know, uh, they were trying to increase the price of uh, the cable bill. Or it might have been, you know, at the office with some drive to just exceed whatever the plan was to double it or triple it. And the problem, Brian, was for the most part, I was really successful at being driven and it was working. So for a very type A, triple espresso, can't, you know, can talk his way out of anything or to anything. The worst thing that happens is you keep winning and keep raising the bar to the next and the next and the next. And and so at that time, I was actually in a Christian industry. I was in the Christian publishing industry and I was leading a team. I'll tell you about kind of the implosion point leading up to it. I was leading a team in, in marketing for different book divisions of one of the world's largest publishing companies at that time, and I think still is. And we were doing some phenomenal things. I had a team of about 18. But just to give the listeners a sense of how driven I was, one of the stories you and I talked about before we started the podcast and I've shared in my book is I was headed to a video shoot for an author. Now, this was pre-9-11, and we were going by plane. And we were at the airport, and the plane loaded. 
And it was a plane that, you know, one of the smaller planes in, in the sense of it held about probably 80 or 90 people, 100 people, whatever it was. So everybody loaded, but I was distracted. I was on my phone. I look up, everybody is out of the terminal and the door is closed to access the plane. So I run up to the counter and the lady who's overseeing that was like, yeah, sorry, it's boarded. It's done. Your seat's been given away uh, to the standby passenger. And I tried to talk my way on. She refused. She walked off. Well, I was such a driven guy. You know, again, the one who says it can't be done needs to get out of the way of the, (laughs) the person doing it. And I was that guy. And so I watched her walk away and I just walked out the emergency door, walked down the stairs onto the tarmac and stood in front of the plane. Wow. And within a minute or two, this was again, pre nine 11. So thankfully, because I probably would have been either shot or in jail the rest of my life. otherwise. (laughs) But in that moment, in that day, the pilot or the assistant pilot, one of the two stepped off the plane and walked over to me and was like, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm waiting for my seat and I'm going to get on the plane and I'm going to take my seat because I have to be on this plane. And ultimately, Brian taught my way on the plane. The They kicked off the person that was in the standby seat. <laughs> and every, you know, I, I delayed the flight by at least a few minutes. And everybody besides the video crew on that flight who was with me was like, man, what a jerk. Like this guy who, like what, what in the world? Mm-hmm. And, and yet to me, it was just another day, you know, like, heck yeah. Like that's, that's what you do. You make things happen. So, I mean, I didn't, I don't even think my blood pressure was high. I don't think, you know, I wasn't sweating. I wasn't nervous. That was a snapshot of the driven level I was at and the extreme I would go. So fast forward a little bit. And my boss at the time asked me to go to lunch. I sit down with him and at this restaurant and again, I had about 18 people underneath me. We were doing phenomenally well, like hitting our plan out of the park financially and goal-wise. So I thought maybe he was going to promote me or you know compliment me or give me the next big challenge. And before I even had a bite in my mouth, like I, I remember I had like, we were eating sandwiches and, and I had this sandwich like in motion toward my mouth. And he said, hey, Alan, I just have a question for you. Do you know all 18 of your staff think you're a complete ass? Oh, wow. They can't stand your presence, but they stay with you because you're successful. I just didn't know if you knew that. It felt like a a sucker punch to the gut. That was my initial reaction. But then quickly on the heels of that, because this is the driven, controlling nature when you're in that state, my thought through my race through my head of, you know what? I'll fire all 18. I'll rebuild the team. And if that's their gratitude, they're out. And I'll just start over because I don't need them. Like it's me, not them. And they're just doing what I tell them to do. So if that's their you know appreciation of me, then they're out. Thankfully, I didn't say that. I, I just felt I was a, you know, a Christian at that time. I'd been a Christian a believer since I was a boy. And this was working at a Christian publishing company, yeah. right? And so I totally believed in God. I just didn't know how to do life with God or that that was even a possibility. I thought I was an orphan. It was all up to me. But in that moment, I felt this almost like God's hand on my collar kind of pulling me back, like, just don't defend 
don't explode, just listen. I didn't say a word. I just listened and my boss continued. And what I sensed God saying to me as my boss was talking was, hey, Alan, what kind of man do you want to be in life? Because the man you are right now, nobody enjoys your presence. They just enjoy your productivity. Like you're, you're a highly successful guy who has accomplished a lot by his late 20s and going into his 30s. But nobody wants to be around you other than just to get the bonus at the end of the year. Mm. Like, is that the kind of man you want to continue to be? How did that feel when you heard that in your heart? What went on? Honestly, to live that kind of life, my heart was pretty numb already. And so it had already flatlined a long time ago. And so how I felt was embarrassed and I felt exposed, yet I had no idea how to do life differently. Because the question quickly comes to, if you're not what you do, who are you? Yeah. And as a driven businessman at the time who where it was working, it's how can I become somebody where people would enjoy my presence, but yet somehow shift how I view life and how I approach the day and, and how I measure success in the day. And so, yeah, I felt exposed. I felt shame, confused. And something in me was like, this is the moment things can shift. I don't know how, but I don't want to continue being the man that I am. So at that point, that became kind of a, a fork in the road, a transition moment where I set out to learn how not to be this person who just was the bull in the china shop who would win at all costs and Brian it was it, it wasn't like an overnight for sure thing it was it was something that began a journey and thankfully there were some people around me who helped me start to understand it begins with becoming a son of god that like the, the path forward if I want to be a better boss, if I want to be a truer man, it actually starts by learning how to be a son of God. Mm. For women, how to be a daughter of God. Basically, how to be fathered. Because when you're a type A, highly driven, make it happen, measure the, measure the success of your day by what gets checked off your to-do list or by how much you achieve. If you're doing that day in and day out, there's really, I found not much place for God because it's not whether God shows up, whether, and, and you do life with God, whether the day is a success, it's, did I get the things on my list done? And did I achieve what I set out to achieve? And did other people think that I had what it took for my validation? That shift of, I want to learn how to be a son of God and, and not anymore the orphan who faces life on his own, has to make it happen all in his own strength, you know, kind of like Atlas with the world on his shoulders. Mm -hmm. And I had lived that for so long. I knew what my boss was saying, even though I hated to hear it. After he exposed it, I knew it was true because I've seen, I'd seen the look of the faces of the people on my team. And I wasn't the guy that they were laughing in the hall with telling a joke to. And I wasn't the guy that they would want to invite over on the weekend for a barbecue. And I wasn't the one whose shoulder they would cry on. And, and so I knew that was right. I just didn't know until that moment how bad it was. And I didn't have the invitation 
to step into the new. So that was what began my journey from orphan to son. And living as a son, life isn't all up to you. It's not about doing more. It's about being more. And so that started that journey from how I had lived really from, you know, out of college and my first jobs through that point. And that was the moment I raised the white flag Mm -hmm. and said, okay, God, I can't do this anymore. And I don't know how to do what's next, but I know you'll father me if I approach you as a son. I'm sure as people are listening to this, they're saying, I want desperately to be a son or daughter of God the way I was created to be. How do I do that? How do I get there? Yeah. Well, it really starts, I think, with just a conversation with God. And I use the word conversation rather than prayer because so many people, when they pray, it's like their time to talk And the whole prayer is a one-sided monologue from them to God, amen, and there's no expectation that God has anything to say to them. There's no sense of a conversation, and yet with a father-son, father-daughter, relationship is is the key, and and relationship is conversation and conversational intimacy. So I think it just starts with conversation with God saying, okay, God, I have been living like an orphan. Even if I believe in you, even if I'm secure in my salvation, in my, you know, like, it's not a question of, do I understand who God is? It's, do I know him as father? And so God, if I don't know you as father, I want to, I want to be fathered by you. I want to be your daughter or your son, no matter whether I'm 25 or 65. I want to be a son or daughter. And that's what I think is the very best first step, asking God to do what he's already said he loves to do, which is to be our father and invite him into that. And then take the posture after that conversation of releasing your illusion of control. We think we control a lot. We actually don't. We actually don't control much more than the color socks we put on in the morning, like in terms of how the day goes. We don't even control if we wake up after we go to bed at night. That we take that first breath of the morning and open our eyes is totally out of our control. And, And how the day goes is equally not something we can force to happen. And when we try to force it to happen, we're living a smaller and smaller story. And so the second step, I would say, is to wake up in the morning and take a posture of expectancy versus expectations. And for a type A person, that's hard. But to say, before your feet even hit the ground out of the bed, before you reach for your iPhone, before you start thinking of your to-do list, just a simple, it could be 30 seconds, Brian. It's just, Father, I'm your son, I'm your daughter, and I give you this day. And I want to do it together. Yeah. I want it to be like a road trip that you and I go on. So you order my day. You bring me into contact with the people that most need to be in contact with. You set the rhythm of my day. Help me go at your pace. Help me see you throughout the day. And let's do this together. And, and something that simple is a good start. Well, let's talk about a story you shared with respect to your son and doing life together when you got in the pickup truck with you? Yeah. 
So my youngest son, he now is 16 and a half. But this story happened when he was several years younger. Probably at the time he was around, I would say, 10. I'd brought him to my office for the day. And I work at a really fun place. It's called The Outpost. It's a ministry where it's all about freedom of heart and growing as sons and daughters of God. And, you know, he's with me and it's a summer day and he just wants to spend the day together. And I didn't get to, to do really much of anything with him because it was the day went unexpectedly busy. And so he was in my office most of the day. We got to play a few games of ping pong, but which they have a ping pong table there, but mostly I wasn't able to be with him. And I get in the car that afternoon. I just had to say, you know, man, I'm sorry. I, I feel like as a dad, I blew this. I, I, don't, I don't know how I would have done it differently, but I should have. And I, I'm sorry we didn't get to, to do more together. And what he said was, you know, dad, it's okay because all I want to do is whatever we can do together. Mm. We had a little bit of an exchange and it was it was just this beautiful moment where he was telling me, honestly, if you and I are in the truck together, if we're going somewhere together, I'm good. Like that's what I want to do. And it really, Brian, was a snapshot that refocused me on seeing my relationship with God because you know, I, I often think like, do we see God that way where my son didn't ask me, hey, dad, do you have enough money in your wallet for the day for whatever we want to buy? Do, do you have enough gas in the, the truck to get us to the office and back? <laughs> you know, do you know the directions of where you're going? Mm-hmm. Like he was happy just to sit and then he pulls up the console at that age. He'd pull up the console and and sit like, you know, leg touching leg, shoulder touching shoulder. He wanted to be as close as he could be while we were going on our our journey, our road trip together. And that just made me think, you know, do I take that approach with God? When God invites me into the day, do I see it in the same way where I'm not worried if God has the means to make something happen? I'm not demanding to know where we go during the day before I get in the car. I'm just simply wanting to go with him and experience life with him. And, you know, as kids get older, that changes, you know, then it's, you know, when I ask my teenagers, Hey, do you want to go with me? The first question is, well, where are you going? Well, you know, I'm, I'm going to, you know, just to the lumber supply store to get some things. And well, can we stop and get ice cream? Well, I, no, not really. Not on this trip. I, I just need to, but I'd love to have your presence. Yeah, that's okay. I'm good. <laughs> right. You know, and it changes because it's more what's in it for them. And, And I've just found if we can approach it in that spirit of a younger son or daughter with the father of wherever you're going, it's like Moses says in in Exodus, there's this great passage, you know, where God is telling Moses what to do with the people. And Moses basically says to God, I'm paraphrasing, but God, if you're not going to be with me in this, let's call it all off. Yeah. And that's, I think, as men and women, if we take that sonship and daughterhood, you know, heart, then it's God, whatever this day holds, if you're not in it, I'm not doing it. And if you are in it, I'll do whatever it is with you. And that is that shift when you're asking, well, how do people do it? First is the conversation with God saying, I invite you into this. I want this. And second, it's every day, wake up with that expectancy of God, what are we going to get to do together today? And then watching and being aware of God's presence and the rhythm 
and in the interruptions mm-hmm. and in the messiness mm-hmm. and in the success of the day. And at the end of the day, then the third and final thing I would say, just in response to your question is, when your head goes to the pillow at night before you go to sleep, the best practice I found is to ask God in these final minutes of my waking time at the end of the day, what was your interpretation of today? Tell me your interpretation, God. Show me. Because we could think, man, this day was a disaster. Yeah. You know, like I tried to talk to my kids. They didn't want to talk. I had a flat tire. I got an unexpected bill in the mail. I, you know, on and on. But that's our interpretation. And then we ask God, what was your interpretation of the day? And often to hear him say, I was really proud of you today. You really handled that well. You're really growing in your ability to have mercy or grace or patience or kindness and and to reframe how you saw the day that you went into with expectancy and releasing control. And then at the end going, God, don't leave me with my impression of today, my interpretation. What's yours? Those things are phenomenal ways to start living as a son or daughter. So powerful. When you were sharing the story of your son, this joy just washed over me hearing that because deep down, I know that's the way God wants to walk with me in a joyful son relationship. In terms of your transition from type A driver, hair on fire, to doing life with the father, what was one of the biggest linchpins for you that changed things and brought you into a space where you just decided not to control anymore. I'm literally going to let things go and let you steer and just do life with you. One of the biggest things was asking God to give me his heart for those he's brought into my life. Because honestly, and I feel like I'm just kind of sharing all of my, you know, crash and burn stories, but I used to see people as really messy. Of course, I didn't see myself that way, but I saw everybody around me is really messy. And so, like I taught one of the largest Sunday school classes when I was in that stage, and it was a young married class, and I was newly married for a few years. And and so, I'm teaching this class of, at the time, like probably 150, 160 young marrieds. And what I would do, Brian, is so I had a microphone because it was a larger room. And there was a door behind me where I was teaching. And then I had a podium and then the the people were sitting in front of me. Mm -hmm. Well, I was like, I love teaching, but I don't want to deal with the messiness of somebody's marriage that's in trouble or one of their kids that's in trouble or one of their, you know, whatever's going on in their world. I don't really want to hear and get involved in that because, man, what a mess that is. And so... What I would do is I would finish my talk, my teaching, and then I would close us in prayer. And while I'm praying, I would stay on the mic, but I would exit out that door behind me. While you're praying. (laughs) When I'm praying. And so when I said amen and everybody opens their eyes, I'm gone. Like I'm, I'm walking down the back hallway behind the classroom to go pick up my kids from their Sunday school class. Cause I'm like, I taught, I delivered. I'm out of here. Yeah. And it was because of that messiness. And I can remember with my wife and even when my, for, I have three children, but when my oldest was one or two, I was, I was still trying to come out of the state where I believed 
man, I hate it when we create problems around the house. And so like, you know, if, if a kid opened, threw open a door and the doorknob kind of went into the sheetrock, mm-hmm. you know, because it, it swung too hard. Yeah. That would just set me off. It would, it would really make me irritated because I'm like, I don't have time. The, the agreement I had was I don't have time to clean up your mess. Like if you could get your act together, wife, child, coworker, whoever, mm-hmm. neighbor, if you could get your act together, life would be so much easier. But as it is, I've got it now. I've got to take time from my life to clean up your mess, and that's inefficient. And I hate that. And so, what one of the biggest shifts for me was in this moving away from this drivenness was I am okay with the messiness of people and my own messiness because ultimately I'm as messy as anybody. And, and God is giving me grace and growing me up as a son. And now I don't want life to be efficient. I'm okay with the inefficient beauty of a world where I get to hopefully bring life and hope and make it better by my presence. So it's a whole reversal of you know people who didn't want my presence. Now I hope when I enter the room, whatever room, home, work, church, you know, coffee shop. Mm -hmm. I hope in those situations, I actually change the atmosphere for good through my presence and who I am. And and I do want to just make sure people hear this. The part of me that was broken was my search for validation and my belief that I was on my own. But the strength I had of making things happen, God did not take that away in fact, he refined it like within a, a, a fire, mm. and it's now brighter and better than ever. But rather than be the bull in the china shop, I feel like, oh yeah, I'll you know, I, like I'll still go into a situation and go because of my presence, I am going to make this better. I am going to change things for good, but I'm not going to do it by leaving bodies in my wake Mm -hmm. and in burnout relationships and other things. I'm actually going to do it through going into it with God and trying to see and believe that he has this ability, this miraculous ability to make things that are not good, good. And I want to be an agent for change for good. And so just literally this week, there was a situation earlier in the week where my daughter is a freshman in college and had had just a a really bizarre situation happen to her where she was dismissed from a program she loved by somebody for an accusation that wasn't true, nothing based in reality, but it was it was kind of an attack on her. And what she loved. And for six weeks, she was like, Dad, don't do anything. Don't reach out to the school. Don't call this person. Like, I just think I want to let it go. And that was so hard as a dad sure. to honor that. and But go, okay, you're a freshman in college. Like, I am here for you, but I will not move forward unless you tell me. And over Thanksgiving, she said, okay, Dad, I got to tell you, every hour of every day, I think about this position I had. And, and I grieve, I cry, mm. you know, because it was taken unfairly. And if you want to help, I'm ready for you to help. 
And she said, but I, I don't think you're ever going to be able to get to the higher level of the ultimate decision maker that's like six levels up. And I said, you know, Hope, I think I can because I'm pretty good at this kind of thing. Yeah. And and I think I can make something happen in a good way, not in a not in a explode it all and blow it all up way. And so earlier this week, I placed a call to that person six levels up and actually within an hour, I'm on the phone with, with that person. And he's like, Alan, I had no idea this happened. And it's the head of this group. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm a dad and I have daughters and I want to make this right. So I'm going to meet with your daughter and we're going to make this right. Wow. And so I say, name that just so people listening, Brian, understand this is not a message about, hey, if you're type A and you're driven and you're, you know, going hard and making things happen, then just stop doing all that and become a son or daughter of God (laughs) and then be passive and then don't do anything much and just, you know, like sit on the sidelines. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is, you actually will get more done when you focus on being more before doing more. And when you're being more as a son or daughter of God, when you do get things done, it will be in ways that have an eternal spark. And it's not all up to you anymore. And you're not gritting your teeth, pulling something uphill by yourself. You are running with wind at your back because you're running with the Father. And and then the things you're doing actually aren't just for ego or validation or control. They're actually to make things better. And the environment around you shifts because you're entering into it with God in a way that's changing things for good. So that's the invitation I have for people is it's not about whether you consider yourself type A, an introvert, an extrovert, whatever kind of person you are. If you're doing it in your own strength or in your own fears or out of your own brokenness or out of your own something in you that just says, if I don't do this, nobody will see me or appreciate me. If you lose all of those, what I would call toxic motives and exchange them, say, as a son or daughter, I release that God and I just want to be my truest self with you. And then you'll find those strengths that were kind of working, but from a broken standpoint, when it's ultimately transformed into how God made you to be in your truest way, and you enter into that with Him, and it's no longer about proving yourself or hiding yourself or running away from problems or, or just being the bull in the china shop, you know, breaking everything to prove you've got what it takes. When you lose all that and go, I actually am in a whole place. I don't need somebody's validation. I don't need for the world to tell me that I'm okay because God already has, and I'm in it with him now. Wow. Like Then the things that that you're born to do, your passions, your dreams, your family around you, you your best friends, your coworkers, like all of a sudden, they see this difference in you because you're operating from a place of, of real strength at that time. Yeah. So good. I'd like to ask this question and then after afterwards have you pray for our listeners, Alan. And the question is that this whole shift brings you into a space where you believe the impossible is possible. Please explain that. The short version of this is I think most of us live in what I would call story one. And story one is we just kind of go through life like an unbeliever in that 
we believe the limitations that others have placed on us or that the world would go, well, you can't do that or that's not possible. Mm-hmm. We kind of buy into that because we go, that's probably true. I, you know, like most people can't do that or, or I don't see miracles around me. And so I'm just going to scale my expectations down. I'm going to live according to what the world says is normal and and this, there's a ceiling and that's kind of it. And story two, which is what I'm inviting people into and what I'm stepping into, is a story of there is no limit to how you live when you enter into your life story with God, because he is the God of the impossible. He makes the impossible possible. And every story in scripture that we talk about today, that we read to our children at bedtime, that that we think are the greatest Bible stories, every one of them are the impossible from a human standpoint becoming possible. Yeah. Whether you're talking about Abraham or Noah or Ruth, or you're talking about Daniel or David, on and on, Esther, on and on the list goes. And you know, what I love about Esther is that story is basically a story of she had to use her voice and speak in a way because this was the moment which she had been created for. And on it hinged the destiny of not just her, but her people. And either she was going to speak with a voice that echoed through eternity and that with great risk and seemingly impossible odds would either work or would not. And she stepped into story two rather than the safety and the controlled illusion of story one. And so what I'm inviting people into is story two living is way to see life where all the impossibilities go away. Not because you're super great, not because you're a superhero, super strong, super smart, but because you're with the creator of everything and creation bows to the desires of the creator. And so you want to walk on water, you want to, you know, literally do things and see things that the world would call impossible or, or a miracle that would never happen. Well, to God, it's not a big deal. He's waiting for sons and daughters to enter into that with him. And so that's the invitation that I have for people is, you know, stop seeing your life as bound by the story one, predictable, average, normal rules and go, God, you're the creator of everything. You've given me a passion. You're going to see it through. You want my family from brokenness to healed you're going to see it through. Let me be part of that. I want to enter into that with you, but I want to live that story. And that's kind of why I called the book that I wrote, The Story of With, W-I-T-H, because it's an allegory, but it shows us we're basically, we're either going to live a story actively and intimately with God, or even if we believe in God, we're going to choose a story for all purposes that is without God, which is I'm just going to do what I can do in my own strength. And that's as good as it's going to get. Mm. And so, man, Brian, when we shift into that mindset of God, father me as a son or daughter, and let me step into a story with you and live this kind of story to living that's, that's so rare, then our stories can become every bit as wild and as memorable and as essential 
as the stories we love in Scripture, Mm -hmm. because they were sons and daughters of God, and God hasn't changed, and we are sons and daughters of God, and we get to step into those same type destinies, those same moments where if we use our voice and if we walk into it with God, we radically change the atmosphere for good. And I think there's a deep yearning in us as believers for that exact thing. We know there's something spectacular that God wants to accomplish through us. Correct. And don't hear me say like, you know, story two doesn't mean you always get the raise or the praise or the glory. Like story two can be, I mean, Paul found himself in shipwrecks and in prison and and you look at the life of Jesus and there is pain and there is loss on a human level in story two, as well as the impossible happening. But the main thing I think we have to ask ourselves is this. The only guarantee in story two living is back to that story of my son and I in the truck. Do you want the presence of God actively and intimately in your life? If you do, you'll get that in story two every time. You may not get the vacation home. You may not get the New York Times bestselling book. You may not, your life isn't going to be pain-free or trouble-free. It's going to be messy and inefficient, but you get God. And oftentimes you get far more in terms of your expectations. Like you, you do get God, but God always has this wild, better story that he created as far. And you get that when you enter into it with God. So good. How can people find out more about you and your books? For more on me, I invite people to visit my website. That's kind of the hub of everything I do. And the website is withallen.com, W-I-T-H-A-L-L-E-N, withallen.com. And that has information on my books, but it's got, you know, just free video teachings people can watch that touch on topics like this. It's got blog posts on your creativity, your passion, how to pursue your dreams with God. I do coaching for people on how to pursue what they love actively with God in in what they do each day, whether they're writers or business people or whether they're you know chefs or whatever they do. Mm-hmm. And so they can find out about coaching opportunities and speaking opportunities that way. And my books, I've got three and they're all on Amazon. The story of with is what we've been talking about today. I have a book called Chaos Can't. And it's basically about how do we live chaos free in a world of chaos? Where did chaos come from? And why does it seem like chaos personally comes against us in unique ways? And how does our gifting and creativity actually transform chaos into beauty, life, and order when we pursue it with God? And so that's a book. If you feel like, you know, wow, the world is more chaotic than ever, and it's kind of starting to take me out, that's a great resource. And then Waves of Creativity is my latest, and it's really not a chapter book. It's a thought-for-thought book on how do you approach what you love to do with God. And so It's a bunch of standalone quotes by topic, and the whole purpose of that is helping people pursue what they love with God. And and what is co-creation? You know, we we know God's creator, but a lot of people have believed the lie of the enemy that they're not creative. And if you believe the lie of the enemy that you're not creative, it's really hard to create a difference in the world, you know, with God. And so this book kind of breaks through that 
with just reminders that people can read a page a day or use it as a devotion. But yeah, those those are some ways I invite people further into this journey if today's conversation sparked something within them. Great. Would love to have you pray for our listeners as we finish up here. Absolutely. So Father, we ask one thing right now, and that is to know you deeper as Father. Help us see ourselves, maybe for the first time, truly, as your son or your daughter, no matter what our earthly father was like. God, help us see you as a good, kind, present, active father who wants to come alongside us and who wants to show us how to walk through life. And God, I pray that anyone who does not know you as father yet would take that step, would take that risk, would make that request of you. God, help me know you as father. Don't know what that looks like fully. Don't know what that means fully, but you do, God. And and I'm asking you to father me. And so I just pray that over every listener that, that they would grow in their knowledge and in their joy and in their understanding that you want to be present in all of their life, in every aspect, work, play, home, all the ways they feel inadequate or incompetent, and all the ways that that makes their heart come alive, that they would know you in all of those experiences as a good father who loves spending time with them. I pray you'd give the listeners a heart of expectancy for what you're up to each day, today, even in their life right now, and that they would see their life through your interpretive lens, that they would allow you, God, to define who they are, not the world, not other people, but only you, that their identity would come from knowing you and then knowing themselves through you. Got to pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Alan, thank you. What a blessing to have you on the show today. It's been an awesome conversation. Thank you, Brian. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. Please make sure you subscribe to the show and share this with someone you believe would be encouraged and motivated by these stories. Until next time, I'm Brian Robinson reminding you that the greatest decision you could ever make is to ask Jesus Christ to become the Lord of your life. If you haven't done that, read Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 11. Thanks again for listening.